0: So uh, welcome to all of you in the room uh, with me right now, and those of you watching online right now, welcome to you uh, also. Yeah, I had dinner last night with Brandon, and that was just great uh, to be with him. rekindle our friendship. I love being back uh, in Texas. I love Texas. Um, uh, my wife and I lived in Texas for five years. Uh, we uh, went to school uh, up the road in Dallas And then right after that, then we went over and pastored a little small church in Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, for 10 uh, years. So we spent 15 years down. How many of you have been to Shreveport? Shreveport, raise your hand. There you go. Awesome. So we were there for a long time, so I just love being back here. Last night when we finished dinner, it was like 8.45. We walked outside and it was like 90 degrees. I'm going, oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's not like that in Madison, let me tell you uh, that right now. I love Texas. One of the things I love about Texas is that the stars at night are big and bright, <laughs> deep in the heart of Texas. So you get far enough away from uh, Austin or Dallas or Houston, you get out into the country, and you look up at night, and man, it's kind of cool. Actually, when you look up here in this room, you can see those bright lights. And uh, when you when you go, if you get far enough away. I mean, the stars are just like, boom. They're like on top of you. It's like awesome. Did you know that when you look up uh, at night, unaided by anything that you would put in front of your eyes, like binoculars or telescopes or something like that, but just with your own eyes, all of the lights that you see in the night sky are in our own own, uh, galaxy, the Greeks uh, used to look up and, and uh, man, they'd see that big mess, like it just looked like somebody spilt milk, you know, in, in, the, in the sky. And the Greek word for milk, you know, is uh, galaxy. So that's why we call it a galaxy. Five lights don't behave normally. All the other lights in the sky behave in a normal pattern, they're a fixed pattern. But five wander, the Greek word for wandering is planeto, So that's why they're called planets. All the lights in the night sky are in our own galaxy, except one one exception. (laughs) One exception. And that is we can actually see another galaxy with our own eyes. So if you look uh, at the Big Dipper and then kind of look over to the right of the Big Dipper, and then you see this um, constellation that kind of looks like a W. So it's up here, it's called Cassiopeia. And the lines aren't actually there. You can't really see the lines, so they just put those in there. So it's Cassiopeia. And then just just a little bit off of Cassiopeia is a, um, and there's no sign in the sky either. So you just And it never is that bright. But it's a little fuzzy ball, little fuzzy ball. That's M31. That's the Andromeda Galaxy. <laughs> So, people who study the stars tell us that it took light, about, round numbers, 2.8 million years to get to our eyeballs from that thing right there. You're looking back in the past 28 million years. And that's just one other galaxy. There's billions of galaxies. So, if I wanted to uh, give you a scale of the Andromeda galaxy, use this box of kosher salt morton kosher salt and if every one of these uh, salt granules represented a star how you doing this get the model every one of these is a star and i would walk out in the center and start pouring this out in the do you think i should do that right now, now you get be a salty mess actually so uh, if I started pouring this like in a center to make the Andromeda galaxy... Here's a picture of the Andromeda galaxy. Look at this picture right here. We ha- I think we have a picture of it. There's a picture of the Andromeda galaxy coming up. There. So if I'm going to make a model of that, with all that, all that light, those are just stars. So every star is a granule. How many boxes of salt do you think I'd need? Thousand. That was a good guess. That's a good guess. I would actually need 10,000 boxes of salt to represent the Andromeda Galaxy. And the spiral, that I, to keep the scale right, every granular salt, a star. To keep the scale right, how big, how big do you think I'd have to, you have to like in the room, like big, big room, or maybe the parking lot, go out in the parking lot? No, no, it's even bigger than that. How about all of Austin? No, that's bigger than that. How about Texas? Texas is big. That's bigger than that. I'd have to make a spiral the size of uh, the moon's orbit around the earth. Every grain of salt representing a star to be a model of that galaxy. (laughs) So for those of you who just simply don't believe what I'm saying, uh, there's a book uh, called 365 Starry Nights. And uh, it's a great little book. Guy named Chet I wrote that a long time ago. It's an old book, but the stars don't change. So there you go. And uh, I like that book cause it's not written for astronomers. It's not a simple book. You can go to that whatever night, like June 5th, you go to page June 5th and look up, and he kind of tells you kind of like what you're looking at and tells stories like the one I just told you. So some of you are going, you know, we're past uh, books down here in Texas. We actually use, like, our phones and apps and stuff. So if you want to find an app for the stars, here are a couple of apps that I use. One's called Starwalk and one's called Skyview. And I give you all these kinds of stuff. You can just point your phone up and you can learn all kinds of things about the night. I love the stars. Because the stars tell us about our God. Somebody say amen. Psalm 19.1 goes like this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Like, what? Is that true or what? Proclaim the work of his hands. God wrote two books, right? This is one. And what we see, stars. Everything is seen. Whatever is nature, he made that. Two books. And one book can inform the other book. When we look up at night, deep in the heart of Texas, we're reminded that God is a big, powerful, mighty God. But if, when we think about God, if all we think about is that he's mighty and powerful and strong and incredibly great, we have a deficient view of God, deficient. Because not only is God powerful, he's also good. Not only is God majestic, he's also loving. And he's also generous. God is as good as the Andromeda galaxy is big. Somebody say amen. He's actually better, actually. He's better than we can possibly fathom. That's what I want to talk about today. Take your Bibles. And we're going to turn to uh, the message that Jesus gave to a bunch of people on the side of a hill called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7. We'll be starting at verse 7. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks receives finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? (laughs) If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, Jesus is on the side of a hill. He's doing what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it looks like in this passage, he's talking about prayer. But then all of a sudden, there's verse 12. So you go, okay, I get that. We should ask God, give good gifts to those that ask him. So in everything, so verse 12 is like, what's verse 12 called? It's called the what rule? Golden rule, do to others what you'd have them do to you. Most people memorize that. So it looks like verse 12 is just like tacked on, right? It's like, what does that have to do with prayer? It's just like tacked on. Not just tacked on. It's very important, actually. See, what Jesus is doing is he's coming to the end of the body of the message in the Sermon on the Mount. All sermons have an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. He's about ready to get to his conclusion. And his introduction, here, look at the outline of the Sermon on the Mount, is an invitation to the kingdom. He's, he's preaching the, the good news of the kingdom, to people on the side of the hill. Blessed are those who poured spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. That's what so those who mourn. So he, he, this is his introduction. Then he looks at him and says, you're the, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And then in 517, he starts the body of the message. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he goes on with the body of six lessons about the new law. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And then three lessons about practicing righteousness Hey, this is the way you should practice righteousness, so that you're rewarded from your Father in heaven. And he gives talks about that. And then some lessons for kingdom living. And then he ends the body of the message with 7.12. We just read that. And then he says, make a decision, basically. So he has a great conclusion about two kinds of gates. There's two kinds of gates. There's two kinds of trees. And two kinds of builders. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Some people think the Sermon on the Mount is an impossible ethic. Like we're not to, you know, it's just impossible. Jesus didn't think that. This is a conclusion. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house upon the... Do you guys not know this part of the sermon? No? When I point to you, you can participate in the message yourself. So. You got that? Here we go for everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house upon the... And the rains came down and the streams rose and the wind blew against that... But that house stood because it had its foundation upon the... But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the... And the rains came down and the streams rose and the wind blew against that house and that house fell with a great crash. That's his conclusion. And right before he gets there, he says, no, 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 no. You were to be good. That's just pretty much sums up everything in the Bible. See, uh, 517 and 712, we'll compare uh, the two. This is the way the body of the message starts this. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. So in everything, do to others what do you have them do. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the part of the golden rule we never memorize. It makes bookends. The body so if, whatever you say about 712, it's not just tacked on. It's very strategic. So what's he say about prayer? So let's go back to 7.7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For Everyone. The Greek word translated in English means everyone. Or everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So the highlighted word up there is the word, and that's a problem. And that's a problem. Because we all think I've asked. I didn't receive. It sounds like the kind of thing a preacher would say on Sunday, but it doesn't really relate to the real world. It's religious mumbo jumbo. Everyone, really. I've prayed, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Didn't get. So that's a problem problem for me. So before we kind of focus in on a problem that we might have with what Jesus is saying, why don't we just give Jesus the benefit of the doubt and act like he knows something about prayer? Just saying. Just give him the benefit of the doubt. What's he really saying here about prayer? Well, when Jesus talks about prayer... He makes it sound so simple. Right? It isn't complicated about that. He talks about prayers, and it sounds simple. Ask. Seek, knock. That's like, oh, that's easy. Yeah, simple. I don't know how many people have had come up to me and say, Pastor Chris, I just don't... I don't know how to pray. I don't know what I, don't know what I should say when I'm praying. I'm just not sure. You guys sound so good when you pray, but I don't want to. Stop, 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 stop. Prayer, you guys, is very simple. There's a lot of depth to it. I'm not saying the concept is simple, but I'm saying the actual, what we pray. It's very simple. Just ask. You know how to ask? Just ask. You know how to knock? It's easy. See, the power of prayer doesn't revolve around the skill of the person praying. It depends upon the goodness of the God we pray to. See, that's really where he's going in this message, because the powerful illustration is what follows. So let's read verse 9. Which of you, if, if your son asks for bread, will give him stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? This is, this is humor, you guys. People on the side of the hill, we're kind of used to this phrase. People on the side of the hill, they're going, <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know, like nobody does it. Dad, Dad can, can, Dad, can I have a piece of bread? Here's a rock. See? Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a fish? Here's a snake. See, it's like. <laughs> no, we don't do that. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those of accident? If you study rabbinic literature, this is a classic rabbinic argument right here. It's from the lesser to the greater. See, if you, and you're evil, you know how to do this. How much more, see, lesser to the greater, will you know how to give good gifts? So, oh my gosh, God, you ask him, He's he's a good God. He's going to give you good gifts. That's what he's doing here. The main idea of what's happening here is something like this. God is a, a good God, and so he's, so therefore we pray more and more and more. But we have that problem, right, with the word everyone, with the whole idea of unanswered prayer. Because we all know there's times when we've prayed and we have not gotten what we've prayed for. So let's talk about that. When I'm talking about unanswered prayer, I'm not talking about when you're praying for something that, you know, it just doesn't really matter that much. Like you wish the traffic would clear up so you can get someplace on time, so you pray that it would go, I don't know what I'm talking about that. Or you can find a parking place in a busy, no, I'm not talking about Or that you pray that Texas would beat Oklahoma and Red River, I'm not talking about that i not talking about that. I'm talking about serious prayers. Because when God doesn't answer our serious prayer, nothing can kill a prayer life more than when God is not answering prayers about something that you think is serious. That'll kill your life, prayer life. Here's some serious things we pray for. I love, when you pray and pray and pray and pray for a loved one to follow Jesus. Or you pray for a loved one's healing and they are not healed. Or you pray that you would find just the right, and you, you, the job you got is like, what? Or justice in the face of injustice. A lot of, a lot of that going on. you just like, what? And you don't see the answers. Why? The cry from the heart to God about why? That's ancient, you guys. God's followers have been doing that to God for like, I mean, that is ancient. So let me just show a few verses in the Bible that demonstrates that. So Here's one from Lamentations. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. See, that's a frustrated Jeremiah. It's like, what? Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? These are deep cries from the heart. The soldier is filled with these deep anguish cries. They're all over them. I could just—I could stay here all day, and do that. because God's people have been praying to Him and He's denied their requests for years and years and years and years. Read the Bible. So here's a few. Moses pled with God to allow Him to accompany Israel across the Jordan River. Request denied. David pled with God for one week to allow his infant son to live. Request denied. Job pled with God to take his suffering away. Request denied. Habakkuk prayed for deliverance from the Bible. Request denied. Jeremiah prayed that Jerusalem would not be destroyed. Request denied. Paul prayed for the removal of his thorn in the flesh. Request denied. Jesus prayed, let this cup press. Request denied. You just read the Bible. It's all over the Bible. But then we've also had our prayers. Denied. So here, here are some of mine. It's just a small list. That my dad would survive his leukemia, request denied. That my brother-in-law's marriage would survive, request denied. That some good friends would be healed from their diseases, request denied. That my mother would not lose her mind before she died, request denied. Well, there got to be some good reasons why God would deny these requests. I mean, the Bible's got to address this someplace because it's a huge issue. Well, the Bible does speak to it several different places. Here's three. We may ask with the wrong motives. James says, "When you ask, you don't receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures." We may cherish sin in our heart. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And then Isaiah, we may not care for the plight of the oppressed. When you spread out of your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash, make yourselves clean, take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop. Doing wrong, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So we ask ourselves: Well, okay. So God has re- denied my request. Was it because I asked with the wrong motives? No, I think I, I think my motives are good. Uh, is it? Is, is it because I cherished sin in my heart? I God, Lord, forgive me. I know. Is it because that I? I don't care about the oppressed. No, I do. So why would he not answer those prayers? Thanks for thinking that I might have the answer to that. Right? Some of you are listening, and want to. Have, what's he going to say now? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for thinking that. <laughs> like whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I I've preached a, forty years, and I've got a lot of sermons on prayer. I mean, that's, you know, every preacher has sermons on prayer. And I've preached, you know, a message about uh, God's three answers: no, yes, wait, and stuff like that. It's good, it's good talk. Um, but it's not, I don't know, it's not very satisfying. I preached a message from Romans 8 about, well, we really don't know how to pray. Only the Holy Spirit, he can interpret for us. And, he and that's a true, that is totally true, totally true. But it's not satisfying to my soul. He I mean, denies. I got a big one I'm praying right now. And God's not answering. So a message like this actually helps me, actually. Because if I can't fathom something as simple as the Andromeda Galaxy, and I cannot fathom it, then what makes me think I will be able to fathom the deep mysteries of God? Really? If I cannot. This is where one book informs the other. If I read one book and I go, I can't fathom that. That's like, wow, that's beyond, whoa. Why do I think that I should understand the way in which God moves in the world and directs to my prayers? God is a good God, and I may not be able to fathom his goodness, but that's okay with me, because God's goodness is beyond my ability to comprehend, and he's good. He's as good as the Andromeda galaxy. He's big. Somebody say amen. Yeah, not a lot of conviction there. <laughs> so let's go back to the passage. So what's Jesus saying about prayer? I can tell you what he's not saying back at 7-7. Ask and will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So I, I can tell you right now what he's what he's not saying is that he's not making this into another rule about prayer. The context is the Sermon on the Mount. So people that are potentially a part of his kingdom are right in front of him. But the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are over there like that. One of the things he says in the Sermon on the Mount, unless you're Unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of Pharisees, <laughs> you're in no way, you're getting in the kingdom of that. And the Pharisees were all about making rules. They turned everything into a rule. They thought rules was a way in which you demonstrated your righteousness. And righteousness is not about rules, keeping. righteousness is about relationship, relationship with others and relationship with God. That's the sermon on the mount right there. <laughs> Don't turn this into a rule. He's not saying turn this into a rule. So when we, when we, when we're angry, God, why have you covered yourself? It says right here, God, now you, when you would do that, it's like, what are you doing? You know, like, do you think that you can put the great and powerful God in your debt? Really? 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 God's beyond our ability to fathom. So he's not saying it's a new rule. Jesus is not saying that prayer is like magic. You know, like, um, like we're Aladdin, you know, like we have a, like a, the prayer lamp, you know, and, we, and then the genie pops out, and, uh, you know, God's going to give us whatever we want, like magic. He's not saying like prayer is like magic. If prayer was like magic, I'd stop praying today. I'd stop praying. Why? Have you ever prayed for something, you go, boy, glad I didn't get that. Is that true for you? When I was in college, I fell in love with a a young woman named Gina. Wonderful, wonderful person. Loved her. And I prayed and 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 prayed prayed that Gina and I would end up together. My wife's name is not Gina, it's Becky. (laughs) I I met somebody. Gina and I broke up, and then I met Becky. And, oh, am I glad that God does not answer our prayers. Do you have any, anything like that? Amen. Somebody say amen. Yes, amen. Yes. Praise God. It's he, not magic. If it was like magic and you get whatever you want, I'm going to stop, pray, stop praying. Because I'm foolish and I'm sinful. And half the things I ask for, man, I'm so glad that didn't happen. So glad that didn't happen. And Jesus is saying, God's not like a bad parent. Not that bad parent. What do you call kids that get whatever they want, whenever they want it, wherever it is? What do you call kids like that? You call them spoiled brats. And what do you call parents who give their kids whatever they want, whenever they want it, doesn't matter, you call those kind of parents? No, Grandparents right? My grandson comes over. He knows where the chocolate is. We help him get the chocolate. We unwrap it for him. His parents would never let that happen. <laughs> when the grandkids live in our house, man, they're like, oh, they're so full of sugar. And their mom looks at me like, oh my gosh. Dude. No, no, no. God's not a bad parent. He's a good parent. He's definitely not going to give us everything we want, whatever he has. No way. But he's a good God. And he's as good as the Andromeda galaxy is big. One of the families in my church uh, back in Madison, the way they hope, because the uh, uh, when you live in a world where unanswered prayer happens so many times. Uh, we start to doubt the true thing about God, that he's good. So uh, a family decided to do this. They write all their prayer requests down, you know, as they pray as a family. And then they cut out the ones that uh, God answers. They cut those out, little strips of paper, and they put those in a jar. And then December 31st, every year, the end of the year, they open up that jar and they pour out all those pieces of paper. And they look at all the things, all the prayers that God has answered. Is that a wise family or not? Because It's not just good for the kids, you guys. Because all of us doubt the goodness of God when our prayers aren't answered. So let's go back to verse 12. That's a great verse. Can you guys read this out, out loud with me? Do, do they do that here? Okay, so reading together, here we go. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophet. And the most famous part of that verse is obviously uh, after between the commas. Do to others what you have them do to you. So that's, we call that the what? Yeah, and there's a the story behind that, but I'm not going to do it. Think's the most important word in that sentence? Yeah, well, I got it highlighted. (laughs) So. So golden rule. Nobody remembers that word. It's the most important word. So God's a good God. He's good. He's better than you can possibly imagine. So ask, ask, ask. He's a good God. So you be good. You be good. That's what he's saying to the people on the side of the hill. Because he's talking about a kingdom. And the kingdom he's building is not like the kingdom of the world. It's a different kind of kingdom. So let me tell you about my my father. He is a good God. Kingdom is a good place. God is so good, he loves his enemies. <laughs> now, people don't do that. No way. God is so good, he does all kinds of good things. So, you be good. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Nobody remembers that in the golden rule either. We just rip the thing out of context. God is good, so you. God is a yes kind of God. He says yes. You say yes. God's the kind of God that opens doors. The world shuts doors. You open doors. You open doors. Do you, let me ask you, do you like it when people open doors for you? Answer is, do you like it when people say no to you? No. Do you like it when people say yes to you? Yes. So, do to others what you'd have them do to you. You see, this is not just about a good God. This is about the kind of people who follow good God. So you be good. Verse 12 makes the whole thing click. Years ago, 35 pounds ago, 1975, and that was a long time ago. And I'm 66 now, so as I was 19 back then, I went to a school in Indiana where uh, we had a gymnastics team. It was a very good, very good uh, team. And uh, in the summer, in order to kind of work out, we would go to all kinds of camps around the country uh, just to, you know, work out. Work, you know, most 11-year-old girls want to learn how to do a backhand spree. So you go to all these camps around, and we would, we would be the teachers for these camps, so a friend of mine named Randy and myself, we went to a camp in Evansville, Indiana, and we worked at this camp. Taught people how to do back handsprings and stuff like that. Now some of you are looking. I don't think he was ever a gymnast. Just trust me with the story, okay? So, so we worked this camp, and you don't get paid anything. I mean, it's just you know, room and board, kind of stuff. But uh, one of the parents wanted to show their appreciation to Randy and I and take us out for dinner. This is like that's awesome. So his name was Fitzsimmons, Doctor Fitzsimmons, and Doctor Fitzsimmons came up to us. I'd like to take you out to a place to eat at the end of this whole thing, just to show you how. That's fantastic. So he picked us up in his Mercedes, and Doctor Fitzsimmons took us to a private country club downtown Evansville, Indiana. I'm not from country club kind of people, okay? So, on a Friday night, maybe we would get like steak and shake or something like that. But we were just like, we didn't have no money. So, this is the first time I've ever gone to a place like this. And like, we were working at a country club. It's like, this is unbelievable. I mean, the waiters have like little short white jackets on, and there's like white tablecloths everywhere. It's the kind of place where no money's ever exchanged, you know? No money. It's like they bring the, the guy like a little black pad, and he, he signs it. And then as I pay for everything, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So we're going to this, this country club, and we sit down. And it's Randy and me and Dr. Fitzsimmons, and he says, "Food here, It's just great. Just get it, whatever." whatever, doing, whatever. So it's like, well, I knew I was like overwhelmed, but you know, I'm from the Midwest, so I like to be Midwest nice. Is there like Texas nice like that? And so I don't want to be presumptuous on my host and everything. So I thought, like, I'm, I'm gonna have a hamburger. I'm gonna have a hamburger. It's, so the, the waiter comes over, so I, I order hamburger. <laughs> Fitzsimmons looks at me and he goes, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. This is a, one of the best chefs in town, and the steaks here are just amazing. You should have a steak. Yeah, but I you don't want to be... Uh, you should have a, steak. have a steak. Have a steak. Have a steak. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So I had a steak. And the steak came. <laughs> you know, big white plate piece of meat like that. And this, the meat's just like, falling apart, you know? So I dig into this steak, and it's like, oh, my gosh. It's like the best steak I've ever had. In and it's just like, oh, my gosh. Here, you're stop for a second. This is something you don't know about me. So my taste buds are directly connected to my vocal cords. <laughs> so that whenever I'm eating something fantastic, I'm like, oh, 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 oh. I just can't help myself. So I'm just making all this noise in this fancy country club. And it's obvious that I'm enjoying this steak so much. And I finish the steak, you know, before <laughs> everybody like, goes, you know, like, oh, this is fantastic. And Dr. Fitzsimmons looks at me, and he's like, yeah, did you like the steak? I oh my God, it's fantastic. He goes like this to the waiter, like this, like this. Waiter walks over, and uh, he says, he looks at me and he says, Chris, would you like another steak? oh. <laughs> 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 No, that's okay, that's all right. No, it's okay, that's okay. Thank you, Dr. Fitzsimmons, you're so kind and everything. No, you want another steak, don't you? No, 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 It's okay, that's okay, that's okay. That's okay. You know, I know it's probably really expensive, and that was the wrong thing to say to Dr. Fitzsimmons. When I said expensive, he looks at me like he's mad. He looks at me, Chris, I'm a doctor. It costs a lot of money to belong to a club like this, you know that? Do you really think if you have another steak, that's going to hurt me financially? Now, do you want another steak or not? I'll have another steak. Absolutely. Dr. Fitzsimmons is generous, but he's not as generous as our God. God is good, and he is generous. So ask God. Ask. Stop being nice to God. Ask. He wants you. Ask, ask, ask. He's generous, and he is good. So you ask, and ask, and ask, and ask again. Because God is a good God. He's as good as the Andromeda galaxy is big. And you be good because we live in a world that's not good. We live in a world that if you ask for something, you don't get it. We live in a world where everything is no. Doors are shut so you be good like God is good. You open doors for people who you don't even know. You help people find things they're looking for. You might not even know them very well because you're a follower of God and he wants you to be as good as he is good. You do to others as you would have them do to you because God is a good God. He's as good as the Andromeda galaxy is big. He's actually better than that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are a good God. And we live in a world where things just, it just that's, that's almost the furthest thing from our minds sometimes. It's hard to believe it, and we struggle with it. So we thank you, Father, for the stars at night that are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas, that reminds us. We, 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 we thank you, Father, that we can look around at live oak trees and beautiful things, and we remember about the kind of God you are that you are good. And we pray, Father, that you would help us as we struggle with this and our minds and lives tend to wander. We're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. But your goodness, like a fetter, binds our wandering hearts to you. We need that. And then we pray that we would be like him, that we would be good to people, that people would know that we're not like the rest of the world because we're followers of Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. For the sake of his reputation, all God's people said.